I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. In the Bible, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, is often referred to as the love chapter because it tells us what love is and what love is not. We learn that love is patient, love is kind, and love is endless. Love is not boastful, love is not rude, and love is not selfish. Some people are prone to equating romance for love, while others often mistake lust for love. One of the more dangerous types of affection is love at first sight. Falling in love with someone whom you've just met can be quite dangerous because you haven't had a chance to test his or her character. In today's world, we can look at social media and know that many people are quite skilled at putting up a facade and hiding their true self. Some research reports that men tend to fall in love at first sight more often than women. Deeper exploration into those findings show that males are more concerned about physical attraction and the physical appearance of a woman. And this theory led to a study from the Department of Psychology at the University of California, which revealed that some men might mistake episodes of sheer sexual desire as being love at first sight. When Katherine Campbell Smith arrived in Ohio, she was 21 years old, a mother of two very young children, and had been married to her husband, John, for four years. We'll never know if they fell in love at first sight, but regardless of their romantic origins, the passion appeared to have cooled down by the time they arrived in Mansfield's North End. A former neighbor described their relationship as seeming more like that of a parent and child bond, rather than a typical union between a husband and wife. He recalled that Mr. Smith was very authoritative and would frequently scold his wife when he would see them outdoors, and he remembered Kathy as being quiet and standoffish. Linda, another informant, corroborated evidence of Mr. Smith's abrasive temperament and added an even more disturbing detail as she shared the memory of her first alarming interaction with the Smiths. Kathy was, you know, she was a nice girl. She was. She was a good girl. She'd just been tortured and beat to death. Why, well, he had just beat her and threw her out of the car when she was walking up the road when I met her. She was crying and everything and asked me if she could come over, and I said yes. When Kathy sought refuge at the home of Linda, a neighbor whom she barely knew, it's very likely that Linda's older brother, Sonny, returned and perhaps Kathy recognized him as the friendly face she had seen at the park. As one of the 11 children who lost their mother four years prior, 
and who was barely 17 at the time of her death. Sunny was a pensive and sad individual who had never come to terms with his mom's passing. Given his dispirited state of mind and Kathy's bitterness toward her husband, these two were well positioned to add fuel to the other's fire and take their already emotional lives to a heightened level of intensity. The spring of 1970 is often referred to as the spring of discontent on the global scale and even in America's heartland. With the formation of terrorist groups such as the Japanese Red Army and the Weather Underground Organization founded on the Ann Arbor campus of the University of Michigan, attacks are being planned and executed at home and abroad and from the devastating avalanche in France that killed 40 young people to the shocking Fort Bragg incident of Jeffrey McDonald killing his pregnant wife and their two young daughters, it seemed that an evil cloud of darkness was covering the entire world. Still reeling from the chaos and pandemonium of the 1968 assassinations, riots, and protests, America's youth revolted into an uproar as the U.S. invaded Cambodia and expanded the Vietnam War. On May 4th of 1970, and just 75 miles to the northeast of Little Kentucky, four Kent State University students were killed and nine others were wounded by National Guardsmen during a peace rally demonstration opposing our involvement in Vietnam. The fatal shootings triggered massive outrage on college campuses around the country and turned the political climate up to its boiling point. With tension on the worldwide and national stages, it was inevitable that the stress and strain would seep into the everyday life of its citizens. In a pecking order, or a hierarchical system of social organization, the rank and status of living creatures is solidified and the structure shapes each person's sense of belonging within his or her particular environment. Knowing this, we could infer that the external stresses from the happenings in the world were quite likely contributing to the stress level of John Smith. And he, being the man of the house and much older than his very young wife, may have inflicted his frustration onto his wife, possibly due to his viewing her at times simply as another one of his children. With young people rebelling across the nation, maybe Kathy, who, remember, was only 21 during that spring, began to grow restless and defiant. Perhaps she was afraid and uncertain about her own safety and well-being because of the murkiness throughout the world, and maybe seeing weakness and fear in her own husband changed her view and attitude toward him. According to Greenberg, Solomon, and Pazinski's terror management theory, a child's allegiance to parental authority and worldviews can weaken after the discovery that parents, like themselves and everyone else, are mortal 
This realization creates an unconscious need for security that is broader than what the parents alone can provide. This can lead to new cultural allegiances and the search for a more enduring sense of meaning. If Kathy did indeed see John more as an authoritative and parental figure than that of a mate and spouse, it's possible she could have developed an attraction to a man her own age in hopes of finding a more virile, strong, and vigorous companion. As Kathy's interest in Sonny, whose real name was Clyde, began to grow and she became more physically and emotionally attracted to him, she started to spend more time at his house, possibly telling her husband that she was there visiting her girlfriends and with Sonny having seven sisters, several of whom were still living at home, John Smith may have believed that she was indeed visiting with them. Kathy and Sonny's relationship soon developed into a sexual affair, and she began to lose interest in her own life at home, including pulling away both physically and emotionally from her two young children. Could she have fallen into a love-at-first-sight connection with this age-equivalent new man in her life? Love can often bring with it a false sense of invincibility and a belief that it is special and will last forever. Maybe this new romance caused her to feel more powerful and courageous, and just because Kathy was described as immature and low-functioning didn't mean that she couldn't love with the same intensity and passion as someone older and wiser than herself. In most cases of spousal infidelity, the injured spouse notices a drastic change in his or her companion. It's highly possible that John Smith knew of Kathy's unfaithfulness and became enraged by her actions. Research into the implications of spousal age-related factors for husband violence against wives is underexplored. But when trouble arrives within the marriage, the elder spouse, typically the male, usually wields the power and the younger wife often falls victim to his authority. With his advanced age, John probably felt intellectually and physically superior to his spouse and grew infuriated and threatened by the attention she was receiving from another man, especially a man who was much closer to Kathy's own age. There's a stark difference between running away from something versus running towards something. When a person is at a low point in his or her life and is in need of nurturing, understanding, and companionship, they'll often seek out someone they can relate to, and that often leads them to someone who's in the same mental state of mind. The saying, misery loves company, means that a sad or heartsick person will usually seek out the companionship of another equally disheartened person, which perpetuates the state of despondency for each of them. At the time he met Kathy, Clyde Sonny Adkins had just been released from a six-month jail stay 
as a part of his sentence for burglary. He was serving out the terms and conditions of a five-year probation and was struggling to find and keep a job, which was required of him, as part of his penalty. Those who knew him well described Sonny as being sad and forlorn, and his siblings reported that he fell into a deep state of depression when their mother died and said he often talked about missing her and longing to be with her. Perhaps Kathy served as a bright spot in his life and afforded him a chance to experience joy, happiness, and satisfaction in what was a seemingly empty and sorrowful existence. Maybe these two sad societal misfits had finally found their perfect match, or maybe they were both just trying to survive each day in a world that had apparently gone mad. But maybe something else drew them to each other. In an area known for its misery and heartache, could a piece of land defile the minds of its inhabitants? We've heard of individuals desecrating or contaminating an area, but could that same ground in turn wreak havoc on its own occupants? Watered down women with diluted dreams of hopeful joy has been washed down the street. A fool's paradise longing to be free found me no in the cemetery. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women.